Hi there, and welcome to this podcast on supporting GPs to having conversations with family members, significant others and partners who they might be concerned about their alcohol and other drug use. My name is Dr. Susie Hudson, and I'm the Clinical Advisor at the Centre for Alcohol and Other Drugs. And joining me on this RACGP podcast is Dr. Hester Wilson, GP and Addiction Medicine Specialist and Chair of RACGP Special Interest Group in Addiction. Welcome, Hester. Thank you so much, Susie. I'd like to start by acknowledging that wherever you are today, and certainly where myself and Hester are, we're on Aboriginal land, and I'd like to pay respects to Elders past and present, and to acknowledge the continuing connection that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have to country, to the sand, the sea, the waves, and the oceans. So welcome to this very special podcast. And I wanted to sort of start before we get into it to say that when we talk about family and supporting families who might be concerned about someone else's alcohol and other drug use, we're really thinking about the broad description of family. It could be a partner, it could be a concerned friend, a sibling. And so we're really talking about that, that large, broad definition of what we mean by family. And we're really thinking about how can we, as as people and GPs in this particular context, support those who might be concerned about someone else's alcohol and other drug use. And so, Hester, I might bring you in here. What are some of the things that GPs that sort of come up for them uh, when a particular patient of theirs discloses concern about the alcohol and drug use of someone else, someone they might care about? Yeah, look, thanks, Susie. This is something that happens quite commonly in general practice, uh, you know, where um, working in a, in, a, in a situation where we may well know the family, we may know well the other person that our patient has, has come to ask us advice about. But the thing we need to work out for ourselves is, well, who is it that we're actually treating? Um, and the reality is that in a way we're supporting the person that we're seeing, giving them support and information so that they can support the, the important person in their life. Mm -hmm. It may be that that person does come in and see us, but we've got to be really clear around what our role is and really clear around confidentiality so they may disclose mm. information that we, and we need to uh, be really clear with them around so this is what you're telling me how do you want me to approach this with your loved one mm -hmm. or we need to act on this because this is not safe for your loved one or you know it really depends on the situation but really setting up their confidentiality first mm. um, you know one of the things that can happen is a patient saying I really want you to see my loved one but please don't tell them that I told you Right. Uh, and and that can be tricky and you've got to work through that with your patient around. So how is that going to work? You know, how is how, you know, I'm happy not to go there, but it may well be that the first thing they say to me is, well, so-and-so told you about this, didn't they? Mm. Um, so you need to think think about that. Um, the other thing look, that can come up for us as GPs, it, we may feel like this is outside of our comfort zone. We're mm -hmm. not sure what to offer, how to support. Um, and as I mentioned before, there may, may be concerns about safety, concerns about child safety mm. or other people's safety in, in, this, in this family situation. I, I would flag that we're very fortunate in New South Wales that um, we, our PHNs have built health pathways 
pathways. And look, if anybody listening there hasn't had a look at their localised health pathways, go and have a look because they will have pathways to drug and alcohol care, both in the public and, and private and, and NGO sector in your local area. So do take advantage oh, that's helpful. of those if you haven't had a look at them. Yeah. And so, so Hester, I mean, I can see a situation, you know, the person might be raising concerns. And as you said, it's, it's, it's sort of a bit of a, um, a, um, a way to navigate how they, if they want you to talk to that con- the person they're concerned about. Do you find situations in which perhaps the person, the patient that the GP is seeing, they've got concerns, but perhaps the person who might be using the alcohol and the drugs doesn't have a concern? How easy is it to weave in um, that the supports that that person, i.e. the patient, might need to seek in order to manage, um, particularly if the person they're concerned about doesn't see that they have an issue. Yeah, look, and this is really important and, and not uncommon again. And the amount of distress that people can feel because mm. they love this person, they want mm. them to be okay, they can see from the outside what is happening. Um, sometimes their concerns may in fact be unfounded, that Mm. um, you may be a situation, well, actually, when you find out a little bit more about what's happening in that loved one's life, it's not as much a concern, but the person you're seeing is concerned. So, you know, for us in that clinical setting, this will be with a patient that we know, it's really important that we do flag that this can be really difficult um, for loved ones. Mm. And it's really important that they get the, the, the support that they need. And there have certainly been times where I have Um, continued to see a family member um, to help them to work through uh, the difficulties that they face trying to support someone or referred them on Uh, and and so it is it's 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 kind of core to what we're doing is to check out how is the person you're seeing in front of you going how are they coping are they becoming anxious depressed overwhelmed Mm. and what can you put in place to support them as a family or or loved one of the person who's has the behaviors um, and at the same time, supporting them in, in terms of skills around how they can assess and support the person in their life. And so I suppose that's one particular challenge that might be there in that, you know, even though the person that you, or the patient you're seeing has got the concerns and maybe the family member doesn't at this point in time, are there other particular challenges that you yourself as a GP or, or other colleagues of yours have, have indicated um, come up for them uh, when, when they're trying to support someone who might be concerned about their family members' alcohol and other drug use? Look, I do think one of the important things here is the sense of stigma or the Mm. sense of shame. Mm. Um, And this comes up for parents. It's something that I did. Um, You know, I just want to go and grab this person and save them from themselves. Um, they, They may be very angry. Um, mm. They may just want to, you know, why why can't they just say no? You know, that that I want a solution. I want them fixed. I want you to put them into involuntary care. They need to go yes. into hospital and be fixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and to really help them to understand oh, that doesn't work. You know, and there are mm. some situations where people can be admitted into involuntary care, but it's it's very it's a very small group, and mm. it's only it's only occasionally, and it's and it's with someone that has, has extreme extreme risk of harm, where it's going to actually have benefit for them. So it, it's it's a tricky one. Mm. 
Um, mm. I think the other thing is sometimes um, it's important that patients understand why people use alcohol mm. and other drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, there are lots of reasons why people use, and it's different across um, different age groups, different kind of transitions in life. Um, it was certainly something that I saw a lot in um, the COVID period when family members would come in and say, you know what, my adult child has moved home because they've lost their job and they're right. at home, and I've just discovered how much they're drinking. Mm. What do I do? You know, so the, so that that was a real shift for families and, and trying working out how you manage an adult who's who's taking a legal drug, who's doing their own thing, but yet they've come back into your home and how you set boundaries in that setting. So that I think the boundaries around family and what you can what right. you will put up with and how you will manage it and the the, the limits and the you know the rules um, in in that setting are really important as well. And so what you're describing there, Hester, is really needing to get a good sense of perhaps what the situation and setting and scenario is, but also providing a bit of that education, you know, to the family member or the loved one, like trying to, I suppose, talk to them about why people might use alcohol and other drugs, why they might see an escalation, as you've described there. And I think that COVID example is really, um, really helpful because we know that we, you know, we were seeing a lot of that being reported, certainly in some of the research um, and certainly some of the feedback, people themselves saying um, things were increasing. So is it also about, I suppose, grabbing that opportunity to talk through with the person who's concerned about what what might be going on, you know, um, what um, what the concerns might be, and how, as you say, some of those management strategies, particularly if people are living together, that's that's quite a big, um, I'm sure, uh, a common discussion point is is how does the person who perhaps, um, like if it's a parent, for example, how do they manage some of those things? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think one of the things I will always um, talk with um, the the loved ones, um, (laughs) whether it be family, carers, friends, flatmates, Mm -hmm. whatever, um, is let's, let's just do a bit of assessment of risk. Right. Because different people will have a different idea of risk. So if I'm someone that doesn't drink at all, Mm -hmm. it may be that somebody having two drinks seems really extreme. Yep. It, if I'm someone that drinks two bottles a day, then mm. that may not be extreme, you know. So it's really looking at rather than it being based on stigma or, or, or fear or, you know, I don't like it, mm. really trying to work out what the risk is and working through with um, families. So, you know, what is this person actually doing? Is yes. the behaviour risky? Are they going to come to harm? Is it going to cause physical harm? Or, um, you know, are they driving, for example? Is it affecting their their mental health? And are they dependent? And this is a really important thing for us as GPs to just get a bit of information around to help us understand what that person might need. And so that we can then direct the loved one to, to, to support that person to get there. So, you know, look, being dependent or having a substance use disorder is can be a tricky thing to diagnose. Mm. But what we're looking at there, it's looking at, it's not just the amount, it, it's it's the frequency as well. It's, mm-hmm. it's continuing to undertake the behaviour for longer than intended, using higher amounts than intended. When people try to try to stop, they get withdrawal symptoms. They are drinking or, or taking larger amounts to get 
the effect they're looking for. Mm -hmm. They experience cravings. They can't do without it. It takes on an importance in their life that gets in the way of them doing other important activities. Okay. So, so yeah. that it's, it is important to flag that with people because people that have dependence need additional treatment, need more treatment, right. need more support um, than people that are perhaps just using it occasionally and having a bit of fun. Um, you know, and it is important to remember that drug and alcohol use actually can be risk-free. You know, that mm. most people will do it occasionally and will not come to any harm, but people can. And um, really chatting to the, to the loved one around, you know, so what is the situation? that this person is using this okay. and is, is, that, is, that, uh, is that causing harm? And can that help them to have conversations around, I know you want to do this behaviour, but what can you set up or what can we set up to ensure that you don't come to harm? I think that point you're making there, Hester, about, you know, family members may well be in some of the, and, you know, and flatmates, for example, might be in the best position to notice, particularly that one that you've said, that issue of um, perhaps reducing interest in things they used to love doing or, and I think that's a really helpful one, isn't it? Because we can get caught up, I suppose, particularly with illicit drugs um, or other, other, other types of drugs. Um, we can get caught up in some of the hype around those drugs, but what you, you know, something that people can attend to quite easily is, you know, have you noticed, yeah, behaviour changes, as you've said, or, or, or a reduction in, in someone's enjoyment of something, um, which I think is really, really helpful. I think that's a good a place to sort of focus some of their energies in conversation. Um, and on that, you know, perhaps we could have a look at some case studies with um, and maybe then we can explore a little bit about putting this into practice, like what does it actually look like um, in practice. So we'll look at two case studies now. The first one is Judy, and these are all de-identified people. And Judy's age is 26, and she's come to you, the GP, to talk about her father, um, Steve. And she says he always drank heavily when he was a kid, when she was a kid, sorry. And in fact, she moved out of home at age 17 to get away from his bad moods and drinking. She's lived overseas for a few years and now has come back to her hometown to find that he's drinking every day. He's lost his job, he looks really unwell, and she's really concerned for his well-being. You know Steve well uh, as a GP and you've been spoken to him about his hypertension and abnormal liver function, but we're not aware of the extent of his drinking. Hester, can you take us through some of the things that come, come up for you when you hear this case study? Yeah, so I think there's two interesting parts to this. The fact that I already have a pre-existing therapeutic alliance mm. with Steve and mm -hmm. I am aware of some health issues and hypertension mm -hmm. and abnormal liver function both may well be to do with the alcohol. It sounds like Steve might have underestimated um, the amount that he's actually drinking and some of the mm -hmm. issues that that might have caused. One of the things that can come up for us as GPs is, well, why didn't he tell me? Has my patient been lying to me? And the first thing with that is people don't tell us because they don't realise that we mm -hmm. need to know. They don't realise it's a problem or they feel ashamed of what yeah. they're doing. Uh, and so it's really important to be aware of that dynamic that can happen for us as GPs. And coming back to Judy, who perhaps we don't know as well, but what I'm seeing there is that she has had some adverse impact from her father's drinking when mm. she was a kid. You know, mm. So we don't know the full story here. She talks about bad moods and drinking. 
was there a history of family violence here? Mm-hmm. Is there trauma that she experienced and maybe is experiencing again? And it's always that difficult situation in this mm-hmm. in, in balance, this uh, this balance. That's mm-hmm. right, where mm-hmm. she cares about her father, she's worried for him, but at the same time, his his behaviours have been perhaps quite harmful. I note there's no mother in the picture. You know, did they grow up? Um, without a mother, um, you know, or, or is she gone elsewhere? You know, so what? Who else is around? But really, for Judy, it for me, it's around acknowledging her concern, and then mm-hmm. it's great that she is concerned for him, but also. How is that feeling for her? How is she right. managing that? Does that bring up anything for her? And what 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 can she do? What can mm-hmm. she do to support him that is not going to be too much for her, that is not going to overwhelm her? He is an adult. Mm. He can make his own decisions. We're flagging the dependent stuff, which means that you don't sure. have as much control. Um, but, you know, really looking at the conversations that she can have with him. And in this case, generally, I would be seeing Judy, um, you know, I would see her this time and it might be she's only got a short appointment. So I would be saying to her, Judy, this is really important. We don't mm. have much time today. I would really like to see you again. Let's talk through this in more detail and we Fantastic. can look at what supports you need in place and how you can support your dad. The other thing here is it may be that Steve's got an appointment with me next week. And so I now have this additional information right. and Judy mm. and I need to make a plan around how do I begin to talk to him about this? Yeah, How fantastic. am I going to open up that conversation to keep the confidentiality, but I've got mm-hmm. this information that I know about him that I probably need to act on? Well, yeah, I suppose what you're saying too there, Hester, is actually this is a really fantastic opportunity, as you just said, for, you know, the the position that GPs have of trust Mm -hmm. within families, um, Mm -hmm. that it is about their health and, and certainly alcohol and other drug use falls into that really neatly, which is to say that, yes, there are behaviours that are associated with alcohol and other drug use, but there's real moments for or opportunities for change and to, to engaging people in how can your health and well-being be better. But you, but I really take your point, and particularly in this case, it's that real balancing act of taking into account the person who's describing the concern and then the person you might be seeing who might not have actually raised this specific issue as being of concern. So it's balancing those things. And as you said, just really ensuring there's that focus on confidentiality. That's great. I think, yeah, and I think the other thing for Judy, I mean, she's just come back to the mm-hmm. town. What supports, what social supports does mm. she have herself? Um, is this a hometown where drinking is what everybody does? Yeah. And, you know, is her father the life of the party and, uh, you know, it, it, you know a, a popular member of the community and yet she comes back and looks at it and goes, oh, my God, goodness, you know, what what's going on here? So it's really understanding those dynamics and helping her to make sense of it in a way that, looks after her and allows her to care for her dad as much as as, as she can. Fantastic. Yeah, that's really helpful. Should we have a look at case study too, Hester, if that's okay? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so in this particular case study, and this is, I'm sure, quite a common one, concerned parents of younger of younger people. So David and Lee come to see you as they're worried about their 15-year-old daughter. She's always worked hard and done well academically, and recently she's become a bit surly and bad-tempered. She started to engage, disengage, should I say, from homework and school and swimming, which she used to love. She's keen to go to parties with friends, but David and Lee are worried about her safety. And Lee says, you hear about all the terrible things that can happen, the drinking, kids using drugs. 
We don't want to be her to be harmed and we wonder what we can do to keep her safe. I'm sure this is quite a common one for GPs. Lots of parents really wanting the best for their young people. But but what would you, yeah, how would you go about this one? This is a bit of a tricky one, I think. Yeah, look, I, you know, and, and this is really common. And as a as a parent of teenagers, I totally get <laughs> where they're coming yes. from. Um, and, and look, so, and it may be, and I don't do this all the time, but there are times in this kind of situation where it makes sense to go, I totally get where you're coming from. I've got teenage mm. kids too, mm-hmm. you know, and they live in that foreign country of, of adolescence, yeah. um, you know, so, and, and, it's it's so fantastic that you're worried about it and that you both come in. Um, you know this this is this is great. However, we need to look at how you can respond to this in a positive, thoughtful, and constructive way. Mm, because yes. I can understand that as I to go want to go and grab their daughter <laughs> and wrap her in cotton wool yes. at her desk. Yes. <laughs> um, you know the fact is until she's, she's thirty. Until <laughs> she's thirty. That's right. Yes. The fact is she's fifteen. She is growing mm. up. She is moving away. She's building her autonomy, and and yes. you know. In, in this, at, at in, she's she's passing through the right milestones where she's moving away from family, mm. and what we need to do as parents is to create a, a safe home space so that she can come back mm. when she needs to, but also set some boundaries around. No, you cannot do that. You know, yeah. so and and really working with them around what that looks like for them, and it will be different for different families. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It may well be that there's religious faith or cultural background that that plays into what is acceptable in family, but that may be very different to the to the the friendship groups and yeah, and sure. the, you know that that the daughter is moving in and what they're wanting to do and how they're wanting um, to, to to manage this. So it really is is once again working collaboratively, understanding that I want. Once again, I will probably um, know the daughter. I might have seen her. I might have seen her without their knowledge because she's old enough to have her own Medicare card. Mm-hmm. I may be mm. aware of other information. She may have come in for the contraceptive pill, those kinds of things. Um, sure. And so once again, I do need to keep that confidentiality and I need to say that up, up front to them. Um, but at the same time, giving them skills around how they support her. And really, bottom line with adolescence, it's around open dialogue. Yes, and what they're saying is, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, what they're saying mm. is we don't want her to be harmed. We want to keep mm. her safe. And that's beautiful messages. And teenagers mm. need that from their parents. Yes. They need to be held by that. But at the same time, understanding that this is a time of change, a time of reaching out to friends, a time when autonomy is important. And they're, they're kind of um, yeah, they're sort of feeling their way, aren't risk. they? Mm. They they are, they are, and they, and their their understanding of risk is a little bit different to us as adults. Yes, yes. Um, and so it's really having those informed conversations. Uh, the other thing that I reckon is totally brilliant is make sure their friends come to your place. You know, as a parent, yeah, absolutely, yes, yes. See how they interact. Meet the parents of the friends. Yeah, as well. well, absolutely. And and do you think, you know, Hester, you were saying before, and I think this comes in again, you know, particularly you as the GP, you know, those the people, these parents are looking to you for guidance mm. and mm. therefore how important it is to give them some of the tools and particularly some of the language around mm. how they can talk to young people. So we're sort of mm. stepping back, as you say, from that blaming and shaming and, mm. and sort of stigmatising language because mm. we've got an opportunity or certainly GPs have got an opportunity to help um, 
the way in which a parent might communicate. So you can equip mm. them with some of those things that, that send the message to a young person that, yes, there are boundaries and, as you say, there are risks, but ultimately we're here for, me, we're here for you. We want you to keep the communication open. We want you to bring your friends here, et cetera, because and, and I suppose that language and that, that destigmatizing or stepping back from stigmatised language is so important here in terms of the GP role. Absolutely, and it's 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 not just for the 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 legal substances. So vaping mm. and not that vaping is legal, but vaping is out there. Um, yes. Tobacco and 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 um, alcohol, but it's also some of the recreational or or illicit drugs that mm. that young people might be using. Um, you know, helping them to understand credible information about risk. Yes, and it's hard as a parent to hear that. You know, you're worried about the illegality and the risk, but you know, the reality is that we do know that people will experiment. This is a time when people are trying things out, and they may well experiment. But we want to support them to 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 have the information that they need to make informed choice, but mm. also be prepared to jump in at those times when we really do see that they are at real risk and, and support the young person to get the help they need. You know, So there may be things around um, uh, mental health issues starting to mm. emerge, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression, um, or that the alcohol and drug use may actually be hazardous or harmful or even dependent. It's, it's uncommon, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. So once again, it's really once again talking through through around the risk and and being a credible, um, caring GP mm, mm. to help them through that. Fantastic. I mean, I think, and so I suppose as a little, you know, snapshot or a way a GP can be thinking about what they need to apply in these conversations, um, you know, we can talk about we, we validate, we educate, and we facilitate. So we're validating those concerns. So we're really hearing them because it's so important to to be heard uh, in the first instance. And to, and as in particularly in the both of these case studies, it's about I hear, I'm hearing your concerns and they're valid and they're important. Um, that educate. So you're really educating. You're providing some information. It's factual. It's based in reality. Um, it does acknowledge the risks, but it also indicates you know some of those independence sides of things. And then the facilitate. That's really about those additional supports um, and sort of introductions into where people might find assistance. What are some of the the places that you might point some of your patients to if they're coming to see you? What what do you find useful to talk with some of your people, um, particularly around where they might get support and or what treatment might be available if 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 it becomes an ongoing concern? Yeah, so one of the um, things that I will do, and this is for families, and it's particularly where um, a family member has alcohol and drug use that is risky, hazardous or dependent, is, is family drug support. Uh, and that is incredibly important for families who can then get support from other families who've been through the same experience. Right, okay. Um, and so that's really important. In terms of, of us um, looking for places as GPs where we might send the person who has the drug and alcohol issues, as I mentioned before, go to Health Pathways, your right. local referral options are there. Mm-hmm. But just very broadly, I mean, we have in New South Wales, we have the public options. So every local health district um, will have drug and alcohol services where okay. people can be seen. 
Um, the other thing is there are non-government organisations, uh, not-for-profit organisations, uh, and they will have different programs depending on the age group, um, depending on the, what they're looking at, whether it's a, a, a withdrawal service or a rehabilitation mm -hmm. service or a counselling service. Um, the other thing is that there's lots of online um, counselling and support services. Um, there are youth-specific services, just thinking about um, Headspace for a start, which, which gives uh, mm. provides care for young people between the ages of 12 and 25 with mental health or and drug and alcohol issues, Aboriginal-specific services. Um, the other thing is um, the self-help the self groups, which may be mm -hmm. useful which for people with those issues or for their family and, and people who care about them. Um, so, it, you know, so it may well be that those referrals are needed. I think when I think about it from a GP point of view, uh, probably in the general practice setting, the people that I would most often refer to would be actually my local counsellors, my local psychologists or mental yeah, health social okay. workers mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. who, are, who are employed through Medicare. So they're mm -hmm. working in private practice and they can be really good in this situation to support family members who are struggling or even as a first port of call for people that are experiencing issues with drugs and alcohol themselves. Yeah, that's very reassuring. I mean, I think, Hester, certainly in my experience in alcohol and drug-specific services, we've got a lot better in understanding how important uh, families and significant others and partners and friends are as part of if, you know, if the person is indeed ready or, or, or needing treatment, as that is alcohol and other drug treatment, that we've got a lot better at understanding how the significant others play such an important role in treatment. Um, and so I suppose, you know, knowing that and reassuring families that they are an important part of this process, that maybe in the past they might have been quite excluded from that process. But what we know now is how critical they are to supporting treatment goals and um, supporting the person both through treatment and, 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 and into, um, you know, a, a space where they might be in community um, and facing the challenges of everyday life and, and needing that ongoing support. So there's a real need, I suppose, as GPs to emphasise that there is a breadth of different treatments available, but, but also that they are inclusive of families and significant others and that there are specialised, as you were saying, there are specialised um, support services. Um, and I suppose, too, that's part of, I suppose, that care care planning. Um, there are a couple of other services um, that I'm aware of, and I, I'm wondering, you know, if you've had experience with those. One, of course, is the Alcohol and Drug Information Service, and so that's available to um, people in the community as well as um, GPs. And that gives, you know, there's counselling on that, that line, but also information about different treatment service providers. The other one that might be of particular interest to people, and maybe you could speak a little bit to this before we give a few more places that people can get information, um, and that's DASAS, or the Drug and Alcohol Specialist Advisory Service. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about that service? I think it's particularly useful for GPs. Yeah, absolutely. So that's our 24-7 statewide service. Um, it look. It, it seems to be the best kept secret from us in general practice. It's a, it's it's very it's like GP psych support for any of us who've been working before 2011. GP psych support was this amazing service where you could ring up and talk to psychiatrists. We've got ah. it with the Drug and Alcohol Specialist Advisory Service, which is and the service works. You ring them up, you'll have a talk to a very 
um, cluey nurse for a start. And it may be that the nurse can give you the information that you need. If you do need to talk to one of the addiction specialists, one of the doctors, the nurse hands them on and generally they'll call back very pretty quickly within 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe a little longer. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But they can give you really good medical advice um, to help you manage your patient or to know um, what what services they might need. Um, so they're, they're really important. You know, just look up DASIS um, on, on, your, on um, Google. Um, mm. And, and the, the ADIS, the other group that you talked about, are also really good. Your Room also has really good advice. Mm. Um, one of the things, Susie, as I'm thinking about it, is, it is important for GPs is to remember that if people have got significant alcohol and other drug issues, it's a chronic condition. Mm. And you can't just kind of go, that's it. We've referred, we're done. <laughs> we're done. It, yeah. it, it can be an ongoing issue mm-hmm. and people can do much better and they can recover, but it is a chronic illness like asthma, like diabetes that does need mm-hmm. ongoing support. I think that's a really great message, um, Hester. And, and as we're wrapping up, you know, it's important to note that all lots of different support services are available. The ones we've talked about today and others that you might be interested in are uh, mentioned at the beginning of um, the intro to this podcast and then and then provided as a link. As we're sort of wrapping up now, Hester, are there any last pieces of advice you might give to GPs? I mean, you've really talked very much about keeping that conversation open, um, certainly following up with people. So obviously we know sometimes a GP session can be very brief. So it's about perhaps trying to um, set up another time to talk, um, ensuring that they've got links to, or, or at least they know where to find a little bit more information. Is there anything else as we're wrapping up that you would really sort of in, encourage GPs to engage with? Look, I think the other thing is if something comes up that you're not sure of as a GP, it's okay to say, I'm not sure, mm. but I'll see if I can find out. Uh, and, and look, I, I reckon, Susie, I love your validate, educate, facilitate. I think that that is just beautiful. And if we're seeing um, carers, families um, who are worried about someone, that's what they've kind of got to do. I'm doing it for them, but yeah. they've, that's kind of what they've got to do for the person in their life who's, who's using it. You know, so it's. It, I always see this like it's this hall of mirrors that goes on forever, where we are. You know, we're we're kind of educating the family members so that they can do the work. Um, and and what we love in the end was this for that person to come in and be seen um, in our practice and be supported so that they can, um, you know, achieve their life goals and 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 reduce harm. But understand that it does take time, mm. and it will be okay. And we're here to support. And look, the advantage we have as GPs is we're here for the long term. Um, you know, we see people over time and we're able That's to support right. people. And you don't have to fix it all straight away and you don't have to know it all. Um, there's support out there for, uh, for us as GPs through Health Pathways, through DASs, talk to your colleagues um, and take that long-term view and understand that recovery can happen, that there are effective treatments and mm. we're part of the solution. Oh, I couldn't have said it better myself, Hester. Absolutely, GEPs are part of the solution and a really important part of the alcohol and other drug treatment and support service system. So we would really encourage all of you to reach out uh, where you can absolutely check out the links that are around. Thank you so much for joining us today, Hester. We really appreciate your time. No worries at all. It's been a delight. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Take care.